you would, turn your Bibles to Colossians, the book of Colossians. So you're headed there. We are in yet another letter written by Paul while he is in prison. Interestingly, Paul uh, had not been there, not been to the church in Colossians, did not plant this church. Uh, they are, the, the church there is being punished uh, certainly for proclaiming Christ, proclaiming Jesus. This is happening kind of ongoing. And he spends time throughout this letter reminding them that their hardship and even his hardship is cause for joy. And that's kind of hard for us to grasp sometimes. I think uh, the more and more we are uh, surrounded by scripture, the more and more we see this reality coming to place as just as we were singing those those songs, so uh, fixing our eyes on Jesus, I couldn't help but think of this one passage in particular in Colossians. So uh, as you're in Colossians chapter one, if you would uh, look at verse 15 and following. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That would have been an excellent text to spend our time on today, especially when we are thinking about seeing Christ in all of Scripture. We, we want to see more and more of Christ. Why wouldn't we spend our time on seeing this one who is preeminent, displaying himself, and, and quite honestly, this poetically, beautifully written portion of Scripture. And as much as I like that text, it seems as though the Lord has directed me and thus us to another part of Scripture, just a few verses down. So just a small portion of Scripture, beginning in verse 24. So if you would follow along with me as I read these verses. Paul writes, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he may he powerfully works within me. As I look to these verses, 
I want to use this text as our guide today, these, these few verses, as we see Christ in looking. When I think about looking, I, I want us to, to look to this text, but I, I want us today to look back, to look up, and to look out. Let's begin by looking back. When we look back, we look at what Paul writes here. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. I, th I think about so often, you might even say, like, how does that have anything to do with looking back? I think in many ways, when we look back at our life, we are quick to see hardship, difficulties, hard times. When we, sometimes it's, it's wise for us even to, to leave the past in the past, right? Let it, let it stay there. But sometimes when we look back, we, we think back about hardships and difficulties, things that we're going through. In this case, Paul's not just looking back, he's looking present. He's looking and saying, right now I'm suffering. But I want you to hear what he writes about the sufferings in Romans chapter 8. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. When we look back, all the way back to Genesis, we see punishment that came because of sin. Part of that punishment is the pains of childbirth. Now I realize today is Father's Day, and I, I'm guessing we didn't quite, dads, feel the same type of pains of childbirth as some of the mothers in the room felt. Some of you moms wanna give an amen to that? Okay, right? So, so I realize that that's the case, but this isn't just talking about just the physical pain of actual childbirth, right? Because think back about in Genesis 3, when punishment was given, there was other punishment given. It was also given, like, right? There was gonna be toil and labor was going to take place, but there's also actual punishment to the earth, there's pains, and specifically, that thorns and thistles would grow out of the ground, right? This is yes, everybody remembering this? Y'all got to wake up for me here, okay? Okay, Jerry's awake. That's good, one of us. Okay, so like, so thorns and thistles, and, and when I think of thorns and thistles, I know I've told this story before, but I can't help it. Every time I think of thorns and thistles, I quickly think about a short mission trip I took to Niger, which is in West Africa, and it is blazing hot there. Like we think it's hot here and it is a good 20 or 30 degrees hotter there. Literally. It is, it is an unbearable kind of heat. Uh, the Africans there told me that everything here is angry. Like the sun is angry. The trees don't have any leaves. They're angry. Like the ground is angry. Like it, you, can't, you can't walk like in flip-flops and that kind of stuff because you'll burn your feet. Just the sand near your feet will, like everything is angry. And so we were in this one compound, this compound uh, that, think, think yard, but no yard. 
You know what I'm saying? Because everything there is just brown and dirt. And, and in the middle of this compound was a thorn bush. It's about this tall, right? This wide, not really that large, but for some reason, the owners did not dig it up, didn't, maybe it was too thorny, maybe it was too annoying, I don't know, but they didn't mess with it, you just left it alone, but when you come to do like a backyard Bible club type setting, and so we brought like a couple soccer balls, we pumped them up after we uh, had them in our suitcases, we, we brought uh, a couple footballs, they had never seen a football before, right, can you imagine that? Some of us are like, Right. Okay. So they, they, they had never seen a football. And so we pumped those up. And, uh, on day one, we lost all of those to the thorn bush. Because when you, because when, when we see thorn bush, we're not talking about like the little holly bush. That's got a little prick on the end that you get like a little on your finger and you're like, Oh, uh, not that I would say it like that, but if you were to, that that's how you would say it. And no, we're talking about thorns, like punctured, the, the leather football done, like flat, right? That, now that is, that's the pains of childbirth coming out. Like this is agony that the earth is even groaning of because of sin. And so, so quickly, our minds should think, when we think of that thorn bush, we should also quickly think to the thorns that went into our Savior's brow. Because even on the cross, like he was physically wearing, going to the cross, physically wearing representation of our sin. So you say, well, how is that? How does that help us rejoice in suffering? It's because when we look back at the sufferings in our life, whether past or present, we look to them realizing that they are not worth comparing to the glory that Jesus offers us because of his death and resurrection. In fact, it's, it's that when we think about our sufferings, it causes us to remember Christ's afflictions. This is what he says in verse 24. Rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and my flesh. I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. Filling up. Like I'm, I'm having more of, I'm, I'm walking alongside Christ in his afflictions for your sake. Paul's even saying, I'm, I'm going through heartache and hardship and persecution currently for your sake, for the sake of the body of Christ, that it would bear much fruit for us. It's, it's hard to rejoice in suffering, isn't it? Like if we're being honest, it's, it's not the easiest thing to, to find joy in sorrow. I realize that on Father's Day has all kinds of emotions with it. For some, you lost a father, maybe even recently, and so that's, that's hard. Some of you have been, had an absent father, so that's challenging. Maybe you long to be a father, and so that's hard. But I want you to hear on this Father's Day 
to rejoice in your suffering because our Father sent his Son to bear our afflictions. Rejoice, because in your heartache, in your sorrow, there is one who knows that sorrow, knows that heartache. So when we look back, we look back to the one who is the Christ, the promised one for us, who bears our burdens, bears our sorrows, bears our afflictions on the cross. So we look back and we look up. We look up to this same Christ. I want us to, to spend a, a good bit of our time right here in the looking up, looking to Christ. Certainly we can find ourselves spending so much time looking back at our past, looking back at the, the things that have gone on, even those celebratory good things that we miss looking up to the promised one. And so listen to what it says here in verse 26. He says, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. He reveals the mysteries that are hidden. Do you, do you realize how mysterious God is? I mean, think about it. In some ways, we want him to be this way. Think about the last time you tried to explain the Trinity, right? That's not always very easy to do. Trying to grasp in our finite mind, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, as three persons of the Trinity, still one God. It's not very easy to explain. My mind can't fully comprehend it for sure. I know yours can't either. Then we, then we think about things like, God's providence, God's sovereignty, and our man's responsibility. And, and somehow, God, in all of his wisdom, has complete foreknowledge and yet gives us the, the freedom to respond to him. This is all in Scripture. And, and then I think about like how Jesus is fully man and fully God. That's impossible for us to grasp. These are the mysteries that are hidden, right? These are things that are too deep for us. And, and yet, that's certainly the kind of God we want. We don't, we don't want a God that's so easy for our finite, weak minds to understand all of it. If we, if we could understand all that he is in all of our, all of our knowledge, he would be an awfully small God, wouldn't he? But, but he's that vast. This, this marvelous. So this, this mystery. But then the other part of the mystery of Christ is that there are three billion people in the world who have no idea that he even exists. They're not wondering whether or not he's sovereign. They don't even know he's alive. They're not pondering the divinity or the humanity of a savior because they don't even know that they need saving. That's the mystery. 
So yes, there's a, a mystery on our end that, that we continue to go to the word, to, to want God to reveal himself to us, to, to reveal the mystery so we can know more and more and more about him. But we also long for his name, this, this powerful name, this wonderful name, this only Jesus who reigns above all. We want him to be known to all. And so we look to his word and we say, what are, what are we supposed to do with that? Well, Paul actually answers this. If you, you may need to turn a page to Colossians chapter four. Colossians chapter four, beginning in verse two. Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So we want to pray constantly for open doors constantly for open doors. Like, I think about this. Right now, there are, are parts of our world that their doors are closed to us going there. In fact, right now, there are more parts of our world closed to us going there because of COVID-19. Like, there is, there's we are having a harder time to get to some places. I think of places like India and Nepal. and I think of uh, even, even some of the, the work that's happening in Uganda right now and, and some of the hardship there. I, I think of these, these places that, that the, therefore, the, like, we must be a people. Church, hear me. We have to be a people who are pleading with God that he would open doors so that the mystery of Christ might be able to be shared. This has to be, in fact, when it says continue steadfastly, this is similar language as we see in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. It says pray continually or pray without ceasing, steadfast, like regular, consistent, constantly. And I wonder, are we, are we a church? Are you an individual? Are you a follower of Christ who's praying that God would open doors for the gospel to be shared? Or do you find yourself simply being aware that there are those who do not know, but yet you still find yourself silent before the only one who can actually open those doors? Oh, church, we've got to be a church who believes, as Scripture teaches, in the power and authority that's given to us in prayer, the responsibility that's given to us in prayer, and realize that it is our task to go to the God of heaven and earth and pray to him to open doors for this mystery that we've been given a glimpse of to make known in all nations. Gotta pray constantly for open doors, and we must pray consistently for clarity. Right? Verse 4 that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Maybe you think that just because I preach every week, speak in front of everybody, that uh, sharing the gospel with an individual isn't ever awkward or uncomfortable for me, but I rest assured it is often that. But that doesn't give us excuse, right? We don't just, we don't get to say, well, I'm a little uncomfortable with telling people about Jesus, and so I'm gonna bypass that. No, we don't get to do that. 
those, those same conversations that, that we have on the airplane or in the restaurant or at Kroger or at Walmart or the conversations we, we try to engage with our neighbor about the gospel or with a teammate or a classmate or a coworker. I hope all of my coworkers are followers of Christ. Y'all didn't pick that up fast enough. I, I hope they're all saved, okay? Uh, but, but at the same time, we have this responsibility to proclaim this gospel. And so I want you to know this, that each and every time I share the gospel, I go to the Lord and I say, God, please make it clear. Because if it's left to me, I'm sure I'm gonna muddy the water. Because I, I don't have words of eloquence. I'm not gonna be able to explain this well enough or, or say it just right. And the reality is that every single time I've ever been in a room when someone else has come to faith in Christ, it's because God has rescued them from their sin. It's because the Holy Spirit has convicted them of their sin. It's because God has made it clear, even if I have been jumbled, even if, if my words were slurred, God has made it clear to them. God has done that work, not me. And so, so I wonder, are you praying that prayer? God, make it clear. God, when I go to knock on my neighbor's door and to tell him I'm praying for him, will you make it clear? God, not just, not just that we pray that there would be open doors in the nations all around the world, but that we would have open doors in our neighborhood and that we would declare the gospel with clarity. Are you too afraid to pray that prayer? Because that would mean you would have to speak. You'd rather just pray the open door one for those people, maybe those really bold people who want to live on the other side of the world, share the gospel there. Let's, let's do that. Maybe for those of you who just said, hey, I, I went to Memphis this week and I was really glad to get to share the gospel with others there. But now that I come here, it gets a little harder. You're going to mess up with my friendships, my relationships at school. I might, I might not get to sit at the cool table anymore if I start telling people about Jesus. Don't worry, you weren't that cool anyway. Right? Like, no, what we want to do is we want to go to God and say, please, God, may, make my words clear. Make the mystery of the gospel clear so that people would trust in you. When, when we look, we want to look to this one who he does the work of revealing himself making himself known through his word and through his people declaring his word. He reveals the mysteries that are hidden and he displays the riches of his glory. Turn back to chapter one again and look at verse 27. To them, God chose to make known, he chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Listen to that. The riches of the glory are Christ in you. You see, when Paul writes in Philippians 4, just the, the book right before this one, that my God will supply every need of yours. That's according to the riches of glory in Christ. 
Do you know what that means? That all of your needs are met. God says, I will meet all of your needs. I will supply all of your needs. That's really good news, isn't it? Like, just think through what you think you might need. What are your needs? Well, guess what? What Jesus says, God says, is that he will supply every need of yours. But it might look different than you think. What he says is that every need of yours according to his riches in Christ. That means that Jesus meets all of your needs in himself. Jesus is all we need. You say, no, Chad, I don't think you understand. I do have to have food. I gotta, gotta eat. Gotta, uh, I need some, some sustenance. Gotta have some water. Need some juice, something, right? Gotta have some electrolytes, whatever it is. No, I don't think you understand. I do need some shelter, but I need you to catch this. Jesus is all you need for all of eternity. The bread that you're thinking of, the water you're thinking of, the sustenance that you are looking for, what Jesus even claims is that he is the bread of life. He is, when you drink from his well, it will never run dry. Certainly, you here on earth have to have sustenance for life church, hear me. He is life. And as much as you think you have to have food and water, you can't live without Christ. So when we look up to the one who reveals mysteries to us, the mystery of himself, we look to the one who provides exactly what we need. In, in fact, it's not just enough as though it's only sufficient as though, as though that's just barely meeting the, the minimum. It's riches. It's glory. What we get in Christ is overflowing. In fact, not only is it all we need, it's the only thing that will work. His riches is all that will provide for us. Like, right? Like You can't have righteousness apart from Christ. And, if, and if, that, if you can only get bread of life and water from a well that won't run dry from him, it's the only thing that will work. He's it. He's all we need. He's all we even long for. Even when you try to fill that hole with something else, it is insufficient because not only is it all you need, it's truly all your heart wants is Christ. This one who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the one who by him all things created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things, the one who all things were created through him and for him, the one who is above before all things, all things are held together in him, the one who is the head of the body, the church, the one who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, this one who made peace by the blood of the cross, this one who is the Christ, this one is all we need and all that will work for us. So when we look up, we don't, we don't look up wondering, pondering who it is that we look to. We look to Jesus, who is the Christ. Jesus, who is the promised one, Savior, Lord.
So we look back, we look up, and we look out. And this is not look out like, ah, look out. This is look out, like make yourself aware of those around you. Look out, outward. Listen to verse 28. Right after verse 27, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. We proclaim warning, church. There is bad news. Like there's good news, right? But, but it, it starts with some bad news. That all of you all of us are sinners. Okay, so this grand, mysterious God, this marvelous God, who, who we can't even grasp all of, too, too vast for our finite minds, our weak minds, this God is holy, perfect, righteous, just, creator of all things. This God made us, and we quickly failed him. It's called sin. Anything that we do, say, think, act, or don't do, say, think, or act, that would displease God. And we do it often. In fact, we're even born this way. Scripture tells us that we are born into sin, so we're sinners by nature, and we're sinners by choice. We, we quite often, we choose sin, even, even at times knowingly choose sin. We, we dishonor this creator God. So when we proclaim a warning, the warning is that we are sinners, and because of our sin, we are separated from this perfect, righteous God. The warning is that the punishment for that separation is everlasting, never-ending, eternal, forever separation from God in a place called hell. And I realize that there are so-called churches and so-called preachers all around the country and the world who would rather go messages and weeks, maybe even years without mentioning uh, sin or hell, because that's not a very like polite thing to talk about or comforting thing. But I need to follow what scripture says and proclaim warning to you that for those who are without Christ, hell is real. And hell is, is an impending doom for those of you without Christ. So, so we proclaim warning that, that you are separated from God. But there's something else. There's not just bad news. We don't just proclaim warning. We provide teaching, right? 
Verse 28, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone. What do we want to teach? Not just that there's pending doom, that there's hell coming, but there is a way out. There is good news. There is gospel that the God of all creation, this loving creator God, made a way for you and I to come into relationship with him through his son, Jesus, who is the Christ. This one we've been talking about all morning long. This one who is the right, right answer. He is supplying everything you need in himself. Because he says that if you repent of your sin, if you turn away from all of your sin and yourself and all of those things you've done wrong, all the ways that you've thought wrong, all of the actions you've taken or not taken that you were supposed to take, all of the things that displease God, if you turn away from those things, repent of those, and trust in Jesus, you can have everlasting life with him instead of everlasting death without him. You can have Christ you, you can get the bread of life and the water from the well that never runs dry in a place called heaven. This is what we, this is what we teach. This is what we explain to people. And we plead with God, make it clear. And so I even ask you today that and if you don't know Jesus this way, if you've never surrendered your life, right, right? If you never repented of your sin and said, I want to follow you instead, then today, right where you sit, call upon Jesus for salvation. Trust in him. This is a good God. Maybe... Maybe you wrestle with some of that. A stirring in you and you, you feel like you've got some more questions to be answered. Maybe, maybe even though the spirit is making something clear in you, maybe there's something I misspoke. And so maybe you have questions. So to here to my left, there would be some in this room that would love to talk to you, love to answer some of those questions you may have. So in just a minute, I invite you to, to make your way there. And again, Seek out greater clarity. But, but don't leave today. Don't waste one more moment not trusting in Christ. And if you do know him, would you celebrate his goodness? That he has brought you from death to life. Mark Dever writes about Colossians, saying that the book of Colossians is really about new life. And new life that begins and ends really in Christ. He's it. So if you have this new life, celebrate the goodness and the beauty of our God who has adopted us into his family, bought us with the blood of his son, forgiven us for our ongoing sin so we don't just look back at our sufferings we look up to the one who is the promise savior of all would you stand with me now as we respond to the lord